Hello and welcome to A History of Hannibal, episode 23, The First Line of Defence. Hee <laughs> hee! Okay, I'll calm down, but I am a bit excited this week. I spent a good 20 episodes introducing the war, giving a taste of cultural perspectives and a historical overview. Then we had the rise of Hannibal, Saguntum, the crossing of the Alps. But now we are really getting into it. Hannibal is in Italy. Let's let this great tempest ravage Italy, bringing Rome to her very knees. Well, not just yet. So it's late October, early November, 218 BC. Hannibal has just crossed the Alps. His men were not ready to take on the might of Rome. How best to explain this? I am a huge running fan. I love going for a run, at least when the weather is not horrific. And nothing beats a good walk. Again, as long as the weather is not horrific. I greatly enjoy walking around my beloved Manchester. The fresh air, the buzz of the city, the podcaster talking away in my ear. But sometimes, if you have a really long run, or a really, really long walk, it can be, well, absolute agony. I've done course marathons, even a 21-mile walk for some crazy reason, and it can be agony. But sometimes... As much agony as doing it is, the next day is worse. This is how Hannibal's men felt as they stumbled out of the Alps into the Po Valley. They ached, they were starving, they were filthy, they were wild, and all of a sudden, they were in a land of plenty. They desperately needed time to recover. That is my lengthy explanation. As usual, Livy puts it very nicely in Book 21, Chapter 39. The early stages of convalescence are often worse than the disease. If only I could be a a skilled writer. Sigh. So yes, Hannibal's men were in a no-fit state to be leading a grand campaign against the Romans, They needed time to recuperate. Hannibal knew this. And so he didn't take advantage of some infighting between the two sets of Gauls, the Insubres and the Boii. The Roman consul, Publius Cornelius Scipio, knew this too. And so he decided to strike while the iron was hot. When we last left him in episode 21... He was in Genoa, having just returned from Massilia, the small contingent, while the majority of his force went on to Spain with his brother, Gnaeus. Hearing that Hannibal was now in Italy, he moved southeast to Pisae, the modern Pisa, and thence north to Placentia on the Po. However, Hannibal had somewhat been able to get his force cohesive again, and by this time, had already taken the main settlement of the Torini. It is quite lucky for the Roman war efforts that Scipio had arrived at this moment. The Gauls of the Po were looking for the most opportune moment 
to defect to the Carthaginians, but the sudden surprise of having a consul in their midst was enough to keep them loyal. At least for the moment. Hannibal felt that his presence would be enough to persuade them, though, and the two armies drew closer together. We are indeed getting very close to the first battle of the war. The Battle of the Tecinus. While not a decisive battle such as the Battle of the Trebia or the Battle of Lake Trasimene, the Tecinus sees about 6,000 troops from either side involved. A slight step up from the 300 aside that we had on the far side of the Alps. Interestingly, this will be a battle between Scipio and Hannibal, just like the last battle of the war at Zama. There is something poetic about that, but given the dominance of the Scipionic faction at Rome during this period, it is perhaps not that surprising. But, eh, who doesn't like poetic similarities? These two commanders had never faced each other. They had no idea how good the other one was. But they both gave each other healthy respect. Even before Saguntum, Hannibal had been famous at Rome. While being perhaps slightly egotistical, Hannibal believed that Scipio must be good as he was the man the Romans had chosen to fight him. While this would have been true a few weeks ago when they met in Gaul, this respect had only increased with recent events. Scipio could only have been in awe of Hannibal for his bold feat of crossing the Alps. This had never been done before by such an army. Hannibal would have been very, very famous for this. I cannot overstate this enough. Meanwhile, Hannibal would have been impressed with Scipio for his speed in meeting him in Italy, particularly after how easily he had escaped Scipio's grasp while they were both in Gaul. Scipio crossed the Po and made his way to the river Ticinus, a tributary of the Po, on the northern side. He gave a big speech to his men which basically said that he wouldn't need to make this speech to the army he had led in Gaul, as he knew how good they were. Hannibal had been fleeing them, after all. But this army was now in Spain, and they would have to be just as good. He told them what to expect in the coming battle from an enemy, which they had already beaten a few years back, that they would be fighting mere ghosts of men, all but killed by the crossing of the Alps, that his greatest fear was that they would have to admit the Alps conquered Hannibal, not they. He goes on to say how great he is for returning to Gaul, and how horrible the Carthaginians are, being treaty breakers who deserve to lose. He then told them that there were no other armies. If they failed, Hannibal would have a straightforward march to Rome, that they were, in short, the last line of defence. Though, with the benefit of hindsight, we know that this is not true. The force assembled at the Tecinus 
was not the last line of defence, but the first. Before giving his speech, Hannibal brought out some Gallic prisoners they had captured from the Alps. He gathered his troops in a circle around them, and offered the prisoners a chance of freedom. They would fight in single combat, and the victor would be offered a horse and weapons. They all jumped at the chance. They fought several battles, and they all marvelled at the fortune of the victors and the bravery of the dead. The men were inspired. Hannibal then gave his speech. He compared to the prisoners who had fought to themselves. They were all trapped, the prisoners by chains and the army, by the geographical confines of the Alps, the Po and the sea. The circumstances had offered them a fight, just as had happened to the prisoners, and the rewards of victory would be extremely glorious. He then goes on to compare the Carthaginians and Romans, and him and Scipio. Without the Roman name, what are the Romans to you who have done twenty years of hard service? What is Scipio to me when I led you across the Alps, and he abandoned his army to another general who took it to Spain? That kind of thing. Then there is a passage about all the horrible things the Romans will do to them if they were captured, before finishing by telling them to be brave and not fear death. Now, operations begin. Scipio began constructing a bridge to cross the Ticinus, and a blockhouse to protect it, while Hannibal sent out Marhabal and 500 Numidian cavalry to ravage the countryside. He hoped that by doing this, and by avoiding damaging Gallic property, he would be able to turn the Gauls to his side. Hopefully, the name Marhabal is familiar to you, though if you don't remember him, I wouldn't be surprised. We met him briefly in episode 18, during the Siege of Saguntum. Hannibal left the siege in Marhabal's hands for a short while, while he put down some troublesome Gallic tribes. He was one of Hannibal's very important officers slash generals, and he will keep coming up, so you will do good to remember that name. Amahabal. So yes, the bridge was constructed, and a Roman force was sent across it, into position about five miles from Victumuli. Seeing that battle was imminent, Hannibal recalled Marhabal. Hannibal made many grand promises to his troops and allies, land for the Carthaginians, citizenship for the allies, freedom for slaves, replacement slaves for masters, who would lose these slaves. He then made an oath, saying that may what would happen to the land that he had happen to him should he not fulfil these promises. He then crushed this lamb's head with a stone. The whole Carthaginian army was now ready to fight, thinking that the gods were on their side. This optimism was not shared by the Romans. They had been dealing with bad omens. A wolf had somehow managed to get into camp 
maul those who it came into contact with, and then escape without being caught. The other omen was that bees had swarmed on a tree, which happened to be overhanging the commander's tent. Portents of disaster, if ever I saw them. Scipio advanced with a force of cavalry and abilities, who, if you remember episode 2, you will know were lightly armoured young men, armed with javelins who were used as skirmishers to screen the army's formation. He was on a reconnaissance trip when he stumbled into Hannibal doing exactly the same thing with some of his cavalry. Before they saw each other, they saw the dust the other one was making. They both halted and prepared themselves. Scipio had his velites and Gallic cavalry on the front line, with infantry and allies behind, while Hannibal's force had the heavy native cavalry in the centre with the lighter Numidian cavalry on the wings. The troops steadied themselves. War cries were made. Battle was imminent. If you believe Livy, the first movement of the battle was the immediate routing of the Velites. This seems, well, uh, unlikely. I'm much more inclined to side with Polybius, who states that Hannibal charged first, and this caused the Velites to rout. So, Hannibal sent a charge, and it was, for a while, an even fight. But Scipio had not effectively deployed his cavalry. They did not work well being stationed in a flat line receiving a charge. Added to this immediate disadvantage was the unfortunate complication of the Velites running away, disrupting the Roman formation. Things were not looking particularly good for the Romans when the Numidian cavalry swooped around and circled them and struck in the rear. Scipio was then injured and was saved either by a Ligurian slave or, in the more common tradition, by his young 18-year-old son, who shared his father's name, Publius Cornelius Scipio. But we know him as Scipio Africanus. This is the first battle of the war, and we can already see the general theme's presence. Rome's inability to beat Hannibal in open conflict, and the superiority of the Carthaginian, specifically the Numidian, cavalry. That night, the Romans packed up very quietly, and made with all speed to the Po, determined to cross the floating bridge over the Po without the added confusion of an enemy chase. The operation proved a complete success. Before Hannibal realised the Roman army had left the Ticinus, it was at Placentia. But Hannibal did manage to capture 600 or so stragglers and break up the floating bridge. He was unable to cross it, as it had already been cut loose at both ends, and was just making its way downstream. After two days, they found a place where they could cross, 
by constructing a raft bridge. Hanbrill's brother, Margot, was sent in advance of the main army with the light Spanish cavalry. Hannibal stayed put for a while as he received delegations from the Gauls and the heavier troops crossed. Meanwhile, Margot advanced to Placentia. Hannibal caught up and fortified a position six miles from Placentia, offering the Romans battle the next day. The Romans didn't bite, but that night, 2,000 or so Gallic auxiliaries defected to Hannibal. Hannibal put these to use at turning the local population against Rome. Again, we can see the general themes of the war in these very early stages. Scipio became greatly worried that this defection and the killing of his sentries by these deserters was the signal for a universal Gallic revolt. Thus, he left Placentia and moved to a location by a tributary of the Po on the southern side, the Trebia. Hannibal was again sluggish in finding out what had happened, and arrived to see the Romans having already crossed the Trebia. Scipio wanted to wait for his colleague in the consulship, Tiberius Sempronius Longus, who had been recalled from Sicily, given the current situation. Hannibal was determined to stay resupplied, and so he captured the city of Clastidium, which was to be Hannibal's granary, while he was on the Trebia. While Scipio waited for Sempronius, the war reached a temporary halt, a convenient place to end the episode for this week. If you like listening to the show, why not support it online? You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the history of podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the history of pod. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash the history of podcast. You can leave an iTunes review, either written or just the stars. That has a huge effect on the iTunes charts. My huge thanks to all of you who have done this so far. I read them all, and I greatly appreciate it. You can visit the website, thehistoryofpodcast.blogspot.com, for information and maps. Check out the History Podcasts Facebook group, a great place to chat with history podcasters and history enthusiasts in general. It is a ton of fun. And... If you're listening to this podcast, you must, to some degree, be tech-savvy. And you've got a Facebook, so go on, give the show a like, join the group. It will greatly enrich your life. Also, there is still some time to get a question in for the 25th episode Spectacular. You can get in touch with me in any of the places I've just mentioned, but the easiest is just to send me an email. The History of Podcast at gmail.com. My thanks to all of you who have sent a question in so far. We have got some really good ones that I can't wait to get into. And to those that haven't, what are you waiting for? I'll see you next week when we cover the Battle of the Trebia. 
Thanks for listening.